Hi, everybody. We're back with Matt Latigard of Groundstone Farms for episode 38 of the Get In My Garden podcast. This is the second part of the interview where we talk about the basics of plant breeding and adaptations, seed saving, and plant genetics. We talk about the local food scene here in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and how the distribution happens from farm to table. Matt also tells us a bit more about the experience of being a market gardener and running the business side of things. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and wherever else you listen. Leave positive reviews if you like the show. You can reach out to me directly on Facebook or by email with comments and suggestions. And you can meet Matt at the Santa Fe Farmer's Market on Saturdays and Tuesdays. You on your website were talking a little bit about your adventures collecting seeds. Yeah. So, like I said earlier, a balance of what makes money and your passion, you know. And so there's a few passion projects that that I'm about. And the Puaque Pueblo blue corn is one. So yeah, growing a blue corn that's just kind of from that land, which honors, you know, the people who farm there traditionally and still farm there traditionally. And also I love making homemade tortillas. So that's one I really like. Corn is super easy because the, the food product is the seed, which makes it really easy to save seed from. If you're growing the corn and you paid attention to isolation distances between different corns, meaning you didn't just grow two different corns at the same time, you know, 10 feet away from each other. If you paid attention, you didn't do that, then the corn that you saved should be pure and um, good, good seed to pass on. Corn is a little bit interesting because you do have to have a, a certain population to keep from having a bottleneck, genetic uh-huh. bottleneck. Think with corn, that's at least 200 plants. So you can't maybe grow 10 plants and save all the seeds from them. You'll eventually have a genetic bottleneck and they'll start to be weak. So you kind of have to grow corn on a bigger scale. Beans are also an easy an easy one to save seed from. You don't mm-hmm. have to pay attention to isolation distances too much with beans. So mm-hmm. you can grow, let's say, 10 plants of beans, you know, and then another 10 plants of another variety of beans and so on and so forth. And there should be maybe some crossover, but they should be kind of true to type, meaning the seeds that you planted yeah. are the seeds that you that you got from it. So did the Native Americans know this about corn? Yeah. So they knew all about it, right? They knew more than we did or do. <laughs> They have known a lot about the different varieties probably that would work out here. Yeah. Some of them probably go way back, right? Absolutely. And so they are some of these heirloom varieties that you're getting. Do you know for sure that they've been growing them for hundreds of years there? Blue corn, you know, for sure people have been growing and still do out here for hundreds of years. Uh-huh. Um, corn is originally from Mexico, so it was a slow migration. But, you know, the Anasazi grew corn and yeah. they were up in the Four Corners 800 years ago. Yeah, there's, I think the ancient Mesoamericans knew so much much about corn and you know these ancient mesoamerican crops that we not even me but you know the huge chemical companies don't even really know that wisdom for example i heard somebody say that most of the plant dom- domestication and plant improvement 95% of it happened before you know 1950 because they took a wild grass that grew wild in mexico that had maybe 10 kernels that were too hard for your teeth to even bite through. And they bred that into, you know, 12 12 inch long cobs that that can produce the most calories per plant of any plant we know. And they did that just through selection and breeding. And American chemical companies, what what have they done? They've inserted a few genes, they made them sweet, but in in reality, they have not done the amount of improvement that ancient Mesoamericans have done. It's really insane. They're making them bug resistant and things like that, but they're very potentially toxic. Right. I'm, I'm doing 
I'm really interested in saving lettuce seed this year. Uh -huh. That's kind of one of project that I'm doing. So I'm growing out on top of my lettuce for market that I, you know, I know I have to plant to produce for my market and wholesale mm -hmm. accounts. Um, on top of that, I'm doing a 14 variety grow out and evaluation from 14 different varieties that I've bought from companies that I really admire. And so I'm going to be saving seed from those varieties if they do well in our environment and potentially breeding with some of those varieties. Um, so I'm really excited about that. So cool. Yeah. So is it very possible to like create your own variety of any of these plants? Totally. It's so okay. easy. Um, let's take lettuce, for example. It's really easy to save pure seed from lettuce, uh -huh. but it's also really easy to, to mix up a whole bunch of varieties and kind of create new varieties if you're into that kind of thing. Okay, that is just so cool. Does yeah. anybody, so you could literally have your own... That's kind of my plan. You know, there are a lot of people saving, there are a lot of people saving seeds out here, but it tends to be more corn and beans, but I really want to create lettuces and greens that do well in our high desert environment. Uh -huh. So, yeah, I'm, there's this company, you should Google them, Wild Garden Seed, and they're in Oregon, and they breed all these crazy striped polka dot purple, like just crazy trippy looking lettuces. I just find that so inspiring just to like be a mad scientist with it. It's awesome. Yeah. And it's perfect. I mean, people with ornamental plants do it all the time. Exactly. Yeah. But it makes more sense to do it with food. Yeah. And so lettuce, um, I think a population you need at least 25 plants, Oh. which is not that much. Uh -huh. You know, you plant them every 12 inches, 25 feet if you're growing in one row. How does that work? Why, why the variety that you need? Like just to, you mean to be able to evaluate so, so, so. enough to know which are working? Or? What I mean is like, you know, you hear the stories of the old royal families that, um, you know, kings who would have, who would die early because they had, you know, because they were inbred, right? They would be, you know, marrying their sisters and doing that for generations and generations and generations. The same thing happens with plants. If you only save seed from one lettuce plant and you keep doing that year after year after year, you're going to have a genetic bottleneck. Um, so there, there are certain plants that you need a certain population for, but lettuce... Um, it's 25 plants. They pretty much self-pollinate each other, so you don't have to worry too much about wind and all that. So lettuce is a pretty easy one. If you do want to mix two varieties, you could just grow them right next to each other. Once they're going to seed, batter them around, collect the seeds once they mature, grow them out the next year, and see what you've got. can be, you know, a bunch of different crosses. Uh -huh. So what about, I mean, obviously environmental factors could prevent certain things from growing or thriving, but what about like actual DNA of the seed? I heard that they can carry some sort of, I don't really know how it works. I don't know at all, but yeah. can't they be encoded in a different way based on environmental factors, like maybe more water resistant? So you mean basically like adapting to an environment? Yeah. Like changes over time? Yeah. Totally. So maybe the exact same variety uh -huh. could become adapted to less water. You can. Um, um, you tend to need to have a lot of plants and you tend to need to have outcrossing plants, which is getting a little bit into the weeds of plant breeding. Uh -huh. We'll just take an example. If you wanted to do that with lettuce, because that's what we've been talking about, you know, you could grow out a whole bed of lettuce and 
treat it really horribly, right? Like, you know, not give it a bunch of water or not give it very much water, not treat it very well. And let's say it's a water thing. You don't give it that much water and 95% of the plants die. The 5% that do survive, it could have been luck or it could be that they actually can handle stress better and we're able to produce seeds. And so if you save from that 5%, then the trait, maybe there's some traits in there that helped it survive. So that's a really basic example. But then if you keep doing that over time, you know, things will evolve. And that's all plant breeding is basically happening. It's just like farmer selection. Um, you know, corn is from Mexico originally, mm-hmm. central Mexico, tropical, hot, you know, uh, no, no, no freeze, no frost. And through trading routes, you know, people would take corn all the way up through Mexico uh-huh. and it populated all North America. And when the Europeans came, you know, they were growing corn up in New England, you know, the Far East. Native Americans were growing corn. And the only way that that corn could survive is because it's slowly been adapted and changed its its genetic makeup to be able to be planted and make a crop in like 90 days. Like there's some corns up in Vermont that need only 60 days to make a crop. And uh, that's just because originally people planted a whole field and, you know, frost killed it and, you know, only 2% survived or whatever. And then they just saved from that and that's how things can can change over time so cool yeah well you know that i forget what it's called but that fungus that grows on corn that they eat in mexico uh yeah um corn smut or um, yeah oh man what's it called i don't know but it, it looks really I, disgusting I had, it, I had it pop up on my corn a few years ago i'd be curious about that as a crop it seems like it's that really would be, delicious <laughs> yeah that'd be pretty awesome to have that in new mexico because yeah. Yeah. right now like the culinary scene has become very much more mexican yeah i don't know if you noticed that uh-huh like the biggest restaurants right now are moving away from Southwest and more Mexican. Like they're introducing way more chili peppers and different types of... Yeah, Sazon, have have you been there? I haven't been yet. I want to go there. Yeah, I went on someone else's dime, so that helped me. There you go. (laughs) I need that. But uh, into the Anasazi, they're also doing um, a lot of cool stuff, kind of Mexican-themed. They're a chef that just moved away a few months ago. He was from Tijuana. He did some some really awesome Mexican food, and he bought greens for me, and and they still do. Into the Anasazi is a great restaurant that buys locally from me. And I also just want to plug my girlfriend and partner's company, Squash Blossom Local Food. So I sell wholesale through her, and then she will sell my produce to uh, a bunch of local restaurants that are committed to buying local food uh-huh. in, in uh, Sazi, I, I Like for their cafeteria? For the cafeteria, Whoa. for the students. Yeah, a bunch of different restaurants. So how many? I'm just curious because people come here and they probably would like to know how many... Squash Blossom specifically? But yeah, how many restaurants? Yeah. She distributes to La Choza, The Shed, and she delivers there. Yeah, they buy, they buy year-round. And also Squash Blossom Food doesn't just buy from me. She buys from 25 different right. local farms. So La Choza the Shed, Aiai, um, Inna the Anasazi, Il Piatto, Plants of the Southwest Kitchen. I know there are some others that I'm forgetting, but those are restaurants that That's are so cool. committed to local food for sure. So does that mean that they're... I mean, maybe their greens are, but are they, I mean, like a lot of these restaurants are using a lot of corn products. Totally. Do you think those are local too? Um, probably not. I think a lot of them are greens. Um, Nina, mm-hmm. Squash Blossom Local Food, she buys, um, in the season, she buys a lot of zucchinis, a lot of squash blossoms from farmers up in Española. She buys a lot of potatoes, um, eggs come from Southern Colorado. So like La Choza, they buy year round and, you know, during the winter 
You know, it's mainly eggs. Okay. Um, some hydroponic lettuce that comes from Corrales. Does she deal with mushrooms? And she deals with um, shiitake mushrooms and oyster mushrooms from a local producer. I know, example, this week, Il Piatto is buying shiitake mushrooms from Squash Blossom Local Food. And then, yeah, once my greens come on, they'll be buying greens. And, and that's that's kind of the thing that restaurants want to portray. You know, it's, it's really apparent when you get a local salad versus a salad from California. The local one is much more fresh. You know, there's no wilt. It's, it's, it's just much more fresh. Kind of, for the most part, a potato is a potato. You know, especially when they're, you know, especially when they're deep fried. <laughs> so true. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah. Cool. Well, that's great information. Is there anything else you want to talk about? We talked a lot about the Market Garden thing. Yeah. I think that that concept of it is, I mean, it's like a fantasy for some people, right? And right. we are doing it. Yeah. How long have you known that you wanted to be a market farmer? Well, um, for a long time, actually, while I was farming and working on farms, I was like, I don't know if I really want to be a farmer. Like, mm-hmm. there's so many other, you know, roles in, sustain- in the sustainable local food scene. But I guess, you know, I like being a farmer because I'm also an entrepreneur. And I really like that, you know, just owning my own business, doing my own marketing. That's just like a really fun aspect for me. And, and just to see the direct reward, like, you know, I'm only going to be able to sell carrots if I plant carrots. That's that's really, it's, it's fun to do the work. It's fun that's to be out there point. by myself and, and just know, you know, that I gotta do the work um, to make the income and it can be challenging and scary a lot of times especially if there's a crop failure or environmental you know things such as the weather yeah it's fun to be an entrepreneur I love that con- the idea that it's just so direct because a lot of people are dealing with something that it's all on the computer or it's on yeah, you know or, on or paper it doesn't even make any or, sense yeah, right yeah so it's this that's what most farmers have in common it's like from their hands you know they put the seed in the earth it's simple and complicated it's simple in terms of you gotta you gotta plant the carrots to sell the carrots mm-hmm. but also you're not only planting carrots you're irrigating the carrots you're weeding the carrots you're managing people to harvest the carrots you're selling the carrots you're you know doing your own bookkeeping you're you're not only a farmer but you're like you know a manager you're an accountant to some degree mm-hmm. you're a marketer yeah totally that's so great and then at the market the experience of that can you speak a little bit about that yeah I mean more about that because some people I think some people have it some people don't have it you have to have a certain personality to be able to sell at the market right yeah I get a little bit overwhelmed at market um, I would I like to be out at the land where it's very private and mm-hmm. I can just kind of futz around by myself but it is nice <laughs> once a week to see your customers and see all your fellow farmer friends and yeah it's just about the community about um, it's really rewarding to be able to see your food that you produced go to people mm-hmm. as opposed to just selling it to a commodity market and you don't know where the food goes. It's really nice to establish relationships with customers that come every week and to also like hype up your own food, you know? Totally. Be like, try this, you know, pink celery out. It might look crazy and whatever, but I guarantee you and like, you know, give some out for free to a, a mm-hmm. loyal customer. Um, so it's fun to interact with those people. Yeah, in those situations, but it can be a little overwhelming, especially for farmers who tend to be a little bit more introverted. Oh yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah, probably a lot of them are. Yeah. <laughs> or they don't speak English. Yeah, speak English. That's kind yeah. Of a problem. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for all this information. For sure. <laughs>